Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoy today's featured message. Hi, it's Mike with the Portage County Safety Council. I'm here with Jennifer Parmenter from Family and Community Services. Welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. Hi, Mike. How are you today? Fantastic. So tell our listeners a little bit about what you do at Family and Community Services. So I'm the clinical counseling supervisor with Family Community Services, where we provide outpatient counseling. We also provide home-based counseling. We have different groups that we run. We also provide case management, and we have uh, substance use services as well. Awesome. So today, Jennifer, we're talking about loneliness. Dr. Phil got himself in a little bit of trouble comparing loneliness to the COVID-19. We don't want to go there today. We don't want to go there. but we're not. (laughs) But he did make a serious point about the dangers of loneliness in this time. Now, loneliness, like stress, was a big issue. And actually, some people like WebMD are calling it an epidemic in America pre-COVID-19. So during COVID-19 and lockdown, just going to make the situation worse. But before we get into all that, what is loneliness? So I think a good way to describe loneliness is more of a state of mind, uh, sadness, because maybe you feel like you don't have any friends or company. It can be that it's a feeling of that sadness or even maybe anxiety that comes when you want that company. Compared to like being alone, it's more of a physical state. You know, you don't, there is no one around. Loneliness is more of that feeling of not having anyone. So it's a perception of being alone. Yes, yes, I like that. That's a good word. And I notice a lot of times in relationships or, you know, people I know that have gone through marriage counseling and different things, they may have tons of people around them, you know, coworkers, family, even a lot of acquaintances or friends, but there's still this feeling of loneliness that comes in there. Well, I was thinking there was even, isn't there quite a few songs about that, right? That some people feel, um, you know, less lonely after maybe sometimes they have separated from others and then in relationships, you know, but they feel less alone once that relationship is over because of lack of communication or, you know, intimacy or whatever has gone on. Yeah, I found some interesting things from psychology today, just to mention some things that people, some characteristics of loneliness some things that people go through, just like we talked about here. They mentioned, like, it's not about actually being in isolation. It's just the feeling of lack of social connectedness. That's painful. And they cite some things and said people that deal with loneliness, they feel like they lack companionship. They feel left out. They don't feel in tune with the people around them. They feel like there's not a people they could turn to or people that really get them or understand them. How powerful is that for people? And we, you know, if we don't really struggle with loneliness, I guess it's easy to judge. Well, quit doing this or quit doing that. But someone that's really struggling with that, they're really struggling to find that connection in there. From your experience counseling, what are some of the big issues with that with some of the people that you work with on a day-to-day basis? I think it's a huge deal because uh, sometimes, you know, depression and anxiety can lead to loneliness where you're feeling like you're just not good enough. You've been in relationships or you've been hurt numerous times. And so then maybe you just protect yourself after getting into more relationships. Maybe you have a lot of trauma in your past. And so, again, another reason to just avoid relationships. Maybe your personality type is such that you're introverted or shy. And so you avoid, you know, making those relationships. Some of us have very outgoing personalities. Like for me, one of the articles I was reading was about, you know, connection with others being a superpower. And I do. I love being with people. I get so much energy from being with people and off of people. But my husband, he's more introverted. So I remember I was going somewhere one time and he was like, I'm trying to think of what to say when we get there. Well, I don't usually have to do that at all. So I think, you know, just our differences in personalities, you know, tend to like maybe have some of those things happen naturally. 
so again, I think there's different things you have to do if you're experiencing loneliness is that maybe, you know, recognizing that that's something that you're having. It was interesting. I was also reading, you know, like we talked about before we started, like when you're hungry, you know, that's your body signal that you need to go eat. When you're feeling tired, it's your body signal that you need to sleep. But when you feel this loneliness feeling, it's your body signal because we're, we're wired that way. We're wired to want that social connection. And so even for like someone like my husband is more introverted, you know, he has that same need, you know, to have social connection. He may not need the large groups. He may not need lots of friends or tons of that social connection, but he needs some. And so is that getting up and doing something, you know, making that phone call to a friend or, you know, setting up that time to get together. And even during this time where we're practicing social distancing, it might, you know, doing that phone call, doing that text, making those small goals to take care of that feeling of loneliness because it's not good. And we know that it can lead to a lot of emotional, physical. Gosh, you know, like we talked about, too, it's, it's even it's even proven that we have shorter lifespans when we have perpetual loneliness. Absolutely. The physical touch part is something I want to hit on real quick. I remember years ago seeing a study. They took like a baby chimpanzee. Right. And maybe you're familiar with the study and they made like some kind of wired contraption that looked like a mama chimpanzee. And they put bottles where the breast would be. And this thing would go feed off this like dummy kind of scarecrow looking chimpanzee. And after like three days, it went into depression. And then they replaced that with the same chimpanzee with the surrogate mom that came in. And literally within a day or, or hours, I can't remember exactly what it was off the top of my head, came out of depression. So loneliness is right there. You mentioned it could be involved with anxiety and depression, right? How yeah. deep is that physical touch component? You know, there's a popular book out there that a lot of people in my church and stuff have talked about in years past really actually helped my marriage. It talks about the five love languages. And one of those yeah. love languages yeah. is physical touch. And it makes it even more difficult now with social distancing. But how important is that physical touch to overcome loneliness? Yeah, so I think, well, let's, we go off the five languages of love. I put they like those little gifts, like, you know, Duncan tea or something. <laughs> Just right, so that, right. You know, somebody's thinking of you. So we can go all different. But I think uh, we know that that is important. I, you know, so taking off of that, you know, they did that study on the orphanages, I think, in, um, was it Romania? I wasn't sure. But, oh, my gosh, it was so powerful to hear about the silence that was in these orphanages because these babies just stopped crying because no one was coming. And so you think about just that feeling of being left alone and when you just kind of give up. You know, another thing to kind of go with that is, and I looked and I don't see that, but years ago I know that next to public speaking, the fear of being invisible was one of the top fears for people. I think it goes with the same kind of thinking. You know, we want to be seen. We want to know we're worth something, that we're valuable, that people notice us, that we're not just another face in the crowd to somebody. So I think, again, the physical touch, that somebody knows we're existing on this earth, you know. And I think that even during COVID, that can happen. I know my kids sometimes, they would say, you know, nobody's calling me. You know, I haven't heard from all these friends of mine for so, you know, I, I would say, well, what have you done? <laughs> you know, right. have you called them? Maybe they're sitting over in their house thinking, well, I haven't heard from, you know, anybody for this many days either, you know. Who knows what they're thinking? Like, pick up the phone and do the same thing, you know. That's a really them. big deal. That's a really big deal. I have a mentor that always tells people, if you struggle with making friends, make yourself friendly. Because for some reason, when we start struggling with that, I don't know if it's just hardwired in our emotional state at the time, but we don't feel motivated or afraid of rejection, whatever it is that keeps us from actually reaching out to other people to make friends or to communicate. And and we kind of sit back, how come no one's 
call me. That's a big deal. Yeah. A lot of times when I've yeah. had friends that, you know, we've lost connection and then you kind of reconnect later. They're like, how come you never called me? And it's like, you had my phone number for 10 years. You never yeah. called me either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a family now. It's a little Don't bit different, you know? There, right. <laughs> yes. And, and some of that is just, you know, you can get in self-pitying things, but some of that's a real thing, you know, like some of them may not be dealing with severe mental health issues, but they're just, you get caught up in life and you're like, you really have to make it a yeah. purpose to, to reach out and connect, especially now where you can't physically be face to face with people and touch them. You have to really make right. it, you know, and I'm trying to tell people like, you know, social media caused a lot of this according to the research, yes. but right now, unfortunately, we're forced to use that yes. kind of medium to try to overcome something that causes. So it's like a catch 22 with this. So I'm trying to That's encourage. That's what I was actually thinking. Like, I think that like this study I was telling you about with Cigna, like how it showed like we were actually more, you know, lonely as a nation. You know, that actually went up to 61%. And I feel like, I think there's a connection there with the social media. But right now, let's pull on that. Y'all watched it for so long. <laughs> like, we all, we got to use it. Let's use it. Let's use it for good right now, you know? I mean, I'm talking to people and people who used to get together for like monthly brunches with their friends or, you know, have those like set dates to stay connected. Now they're doing it through Zoom or Zip or whatever. These things are all called there. Right. Like, yeah. like do, do it that way, you know, do your patent Zip or whatever those, you know, all those things like you can still. And like, I am not very good with technology, but I have found that Zoom to not be that hard. You know, people give me the code and password and I'm on, you know, so you can do it still. You can do it. Right. And there is a degree of connection that, okay, you can still do it in a healthy way or, or getting, get something out of it, even though you're practicing social distancing. For example, I live pretty close to Sunny Lake in Aurora and it's got a one and three quarter walking trail. So a lot of people in a nice mm -hmm. state get out there. And so I, I like to go out for solitude, you know, put some music on, I get some mic time, but at the same time, everyone's always friendly on the, on the walking path. Yes. And, and you know, you're yes. not close to each other, but when people pass you by or, you know, they got a road and they pass around a different side and everything, they'll smile and ask, how you doing? There's actually a small degree of social connection that happens, even though we're six feet apart or more and you're not having a full blown conversation. You're just having a degree of connection. And you feel like you've been around people a little bit, even though you don't have those big adult conversations that you may miss. You are, you can do that through FaceTime, but there is just getting out. And, you know, I used yeah. to do that at the gym all the time before then, you know, just getting around where people are without having a face-to-face -face conversation still makes me feel a little bit more connected than I would be if I was just alone all the time. I went to get a drink today to drive through and even that fella, he's like, so how are you doing through all this? You know, we had just a small interaction and I thanked him because I'm like, you know, I mean, whether the drive through should be open or not, that's, you know, everyone's own opinion. But I think just that small little bit of normalcy of going through, being able to get a little drink, you know, for the day for work. And he's friendly and I'm being friendly and we're asking each other how you are. You know, you just feel good about it. You know, he's like you gave something to somebody. He feels like he gave something. He's like, some people come down through here and they feel they're looking really sad. You know, yeah. he's like, I don't know what I can tell him besides maybe go for a walk. Try to have a good day, <laughs> you know, and right. so I'm trying to encourage him, you know, keep on doing what you're doing, because for some people, this is like one way they kind of keep some type of routine, just go through this drive through and then have a friendly face who's giving you a drink. So just doing that for each other. That's, yeah, that's great. You know, just like those walks and seeing a friendly face, smiling to each other. No, again, it comes back to noticing the person. You know, noticing the person giving you the drink, noticing the person as you pass them on that walk, smiling and acknowledging each other, that they're not invisible. 
Right. So let me ask you this. With WebMD literally calling it the loneliness epidemic, this is mm-hmm. a big American issue. We can almost call it a crisis if you actually think about it. I mean, some research that has come out even over this last year in 2019, you talked about before then of pre-COVID-19, this is getting worse and worse in our culture. How big of a deal is loneliness in American society? Well, like we talked, we know that it can give us physical complications, aches and pains and headaches, the mental health it can lead to depression, anxiety, panic, low energy, tiredness, lack of motivation. And it can cause all kinds of complications and contribute to a lot of, you know, different symptoms. But can we relabel it? Can we do something different? You know, can we be the hope behind it? Do we need to call it that? I don't know. And I was kind of surprised because... Loneliness is usually thought about, we think about seniors when we think about loneliness, right? Like we think they're there alone, they're independent or maybe a nursing home and no one goes to visit them. And that is a serious issue. It certainly is. But surprisingly, according to this one article here from WebMD, the nation's 75 million millennials, which are typically ages, according to this article, 23 to 37, maybe a year or two old there, and Generation Z adults from 18 to 22 are lonelier than any other U.S. demographic and report being in worse health than older generations. And it says 54 respondents of the survey, 54% said they feel like no one knows them well. And 4 in 10, that's 40%, say they lack companionship or the relationships aren't meaningful and they feel Mm -hmm. isolated from others. I mean, you're talking half the nation. And if you're going to go in depth with it, our future generations feel like no one understands them. They have no real relationship. You're talking over half over the younger generation. And the same article says that loneliness has the same impact on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, making it even more dangerous than obesity. Can you imagine? Think about that. If you're an office worker, if you're a, let's take it a step further. If you're a millennial or generation Z office worker, sedentary employment, sitting for a job is like smoking two packs a day. And now you're lonely and then maybe put on a little weight, you're pretty much screwed, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. Right, right. <laughs> I'm not trying to, I'm just saying that's the American society. Most of us work behind a computer in a desk. A lot of us are dealing with loneliness and then a lot of us are overweight, you know, to varying degrees. So we, yeah. we have a threefold thing coming against us and you're just like, wow, Especially this is during a- during this quarantine, quarantine 15. <laughs> right, quarantine 15. I'm hoping it's only 15. So I'm back on the diet just to make oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Don't talk about that now. <laughs> But there's a direct correlation between, like you mentioned earlier, between loneliness and anxiety and depression. I notice a lot of people, and I'm not an expert in this, I'm just throwing that out there, but a lot of people I know that struggle with suicide, they almost seem to go through a stage of loneliness and isolation before they hit that stage. Would you find that to be true, or is that just my personal experience? I would say that would probably not be all of the time, but I would say say there's a correlation, yes. Yes. Um, I think there are sometimes where... I've been connected with uh, families, you know, that there has been a suicide and you, and you might look back and say, wow, there's just like, what were the signs? And, and you might be like, wow, were there, you know, because they, they were active, they had friends, they were involved in things, you know. So, but I would say, yes, there's a correlation. Definitely, we know there's a correlation. So, I mean, those are some of the warning signs, right, to look for, you know, withdrawal, isolation, change in habits, you know, change in giving possessions away and things, you know, so definitely those are signs. Yeah. And, and again, I don't know. I don't know if it's just social media and the comparing of yourself to others. And you definitely don't want to do that when you're feeling lonely, you know, and, you know, out there scrolling through Facebook, you know, and because how many, how much of that is all reality, you know, what people want to see of you or what you want people to see of you. Yeah. Let's stay um, right there for a minute. Cause this is really big. 
when people are saying when they're struggling with loneliness, they, they don't feel a sense of connection for one, even though there's more access to people through social media and technology mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. ever before. Yep. And two, they feel like people don't really know them. And so to me, yep. you know, I have a love hate thing with social media. It's great to connect with family yeah. and friends from all the country, you know, and just be able to see their kids without having to take a lot of time with a phone call. <laughs> I know it's so selfish, right? <laughs> But you get to really connect with certain things. But at the same time, we only put out there what we want to put out there. We kind of project almost like a front or a public self that may not be really us. And so people don't really get us. Their projection is like responding to our projection. So it comes down to this void in us. And I've noticed working with the homeless for the last eight years that there's three things I noticed that always have an issue that I'm not saying this is the cause of homelessness. You hear what I'm saying? I'm just, I notice a pattern from all people, no matter what economic class you're a part of, that three key ingredients, if I could word it that way, the first one's healthy relationships, healthy identity, and a strong sense of purpose. And if you start lacking in any of those areas, if the other ones aren't strong enough to kind of pull on that thing and kind of support the other one, you'll start to see many things missing. A lot of the guys that I work with, with the vets, I tell them all the time, I do this entire class on wholeness. And we kind of go through, hey, this is our professional part of our life where we make money and get an education and all that stuff. And this is our personal aspect here with spirituality and hobbies and different things. And this is our relational one. And this is our other quadrant over here with our health, our mental health, physical health, emotional health, and all these different things. And then we kind of go around, we make a chart out of it. And because dry erase markers don't let you get real fine, I, I do it one out of three and I'll go around the room and say, how are you in this particular area? And we'll have show of hands from one to three and we'll kind of give a graph out and you can kind of see areas that are missing in, in each people's life. And almost every single time I do that class over the last eight years, two of the things that always jump out is emotional health and relationships. Those are always two void areas. And it's like, if we don't have healthy relationships and we don't have that emotional health going for us, the tricky part is it may not be tied to mental health. You know what I mean? Right. A lot of the guys have diagnosed yeah. mental health issues they're working through. A lot of them don't. Probably at least more than half yeah. of them don't. But still, they're struggling with some kind of emotional thing. And those two centerpieces being together. And some people say, well, it was my spouse that caused my emotional issues. And some people say, it was my emotional issues that caused my relationship. And I remind them, we don't need to get in a chicken versus the egg scenario <laughs> trying to figure out what that is. Let's work through those processes and how they join to each other, how they support each other, and how they affect them both positively or negatively. Would you agree with any of that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, a fair amount of people coming into treatment and even like when, when we're done at the end of treatment or throughout, you're always trying to build, too, like goes along with that, though, is who are your good supports? That's one of the things that we do even in our assessment when people come in, you know, like you're doing with, you know, the population you work with. Who are your good supports? Right. You know, because we know how important all of that is. And if they don't have the natural support, who can we help hook you to? Who are the supports in the community as well? Because sometimes people are not blessed with a family right. that are positive for them, you know. And that's unfortunate because in my life, I, I'll be here. I get emotional sometimes in my class. You know, I have been very blessed with family. You know, you, you realize when you're younger, you want tons of friends. You know, like, that was me. You know, I wanted lots and lots of friends. But... Then as you get older, you realize if you just have a few that you can trust, right. you know, you're very blessed. And so and when you have just that inner circle I and mean, the difference, even through this virus that that makes, you can definitely see how that plays out for people and that those connections when you have that. But not everyone has that. And so it's helping our clients or just others around you. How can you have that within your community, whether it's through a church family 
or for people suffering from addiction, you know, their recovery community, or, you know, however else we can help them find ways to connect and have supports in their life because we know their life depends on it. Let's just say it like that. That's the truth because their life, the length of their life depends on having people in it. Now, I want to talk about identity in relationship to this because identity is such a hard, abstract thing to really grasp for a lot of people. We see it a lot of times in sports teams. Well, I'm a Browns fan or I'm a Midwestern kid. I'm a city kid. I'm a country mm-hmm. boy. We see those kind of outwardly things. But if we struggle with that sense of identity and who we are and how we fit into the world, it kind of really yeah. makes a play on loneliness, does it? Because we sit there and say, well, I'm surrounded by all these people, but I'm not really valued by them or I'm not that important or they won't even miss me with them gone. There's these thoughts that we kind of build a right. case against ourselves. So one of the ways to get through it is it. Is it to cease and desist that prosecutor in our own minds, that self-condemning voice that kind of drives us to that, to feel like we're not wanted? You know, part of growing up is working through some of that in stages, you know, as you as you age. But I think at some point, yes, I mean, for some people, they need to go into counseling, not all. But there are, you know, yeah, we, we know that your thoughts affect how you feel, which affect how you behave. And so kind of that talking back to those negative thoughts and making sure your thoughts are healthy and accurate. I always use the example when I work with people. I'm not good at math. I'm not going to be good in math. I'm never was. I didn't go into a field that I needed to use math except if my paycheck's right, okay? But I don't need to beat myself up because I'm not good at math, all right? right? But I don't need to lie to myself either. So using healthy and accurate thoughts is not being lying to yourself. So what am I good at, though? What are my strengths? And so it's just making sure that the thoughts that come into your head, that that recorder that goes over and over in your brain throughout the day, throughout the evening, that your thoughts are healthy and accurate, that I am worth something, I am valuable, I have a purpose. When you find those negative thoughts coming in, taking them out, doing some, you know, the guided meditation, the breathing in and out. I used to pick something, you know, peace in, worry out, you know, something that you say back, you know, over and over again, finding a song that you sing, you know, just something that's healthy. There's you know, tons of good stuff online. You can, like, again, we talked about last time, not the creepy voice stuff, you know, because that's scary. So, but there's a lot of good things online you can have if you find, you know, those negative thoughts are just really filling your brain and making it possible to keep, you know, any kind of healthy kinds of thinking. And that's why we're here, though, too, Mike, you know. Absolutely. That counselors. And there's, you know, a lot of stuff online, you know, the teletherapy and different things you can access to even during now. So I encourage people who really are have this struggle because it's a real struggle. You know, the anxiety, depression, past trauma, abuse, neglect. And early on, that abuse and neglect, we know that that can rewire a brain and can leave lasting impact. But there's hope. There's tons of hope. You can work through that. So, Jennifer, that reminds me of Bridges Out of Poverty. They put this thing together where they talk about the number of vocabulary words between economic classes. And with that, they also talk about the effect of positive versus negative reinforcements being raised in the different economic classes. So what's mind-blowing is in poverty, there's typically an average, they say, according to the research, they quote, two negative for every one positive reinforcement. Now think about that. Now we go to the middle class and it's two positive for every one negative. And then the wealth class, which everyone likes to hate, right? Everyone likes to hate on the rich people now. It's like a trend. And I'm not going to get into politics of that, but literally (laughs) six positive for everyone negative. So literally the higher you go up the food chain, so to speak, you're literally having a stronger sense of identity. You're being more confident and the language is much more positive and you're much more optimistic. And what's crazy is some research, an article I read from the Harvard Business Review actually talked about this in regards to effective teams. 
The ratio is almost exact. The most effective teams, if the leaders and managers of those teams at work were twice as negative as they were positive, they were the lowest performing teams. This mm-hmm. isn't judgmental. This is just, I'm trying to show the positive versus negative reinforcement, the, the product of it. And it was almost the exact same thing that bridges out of poverty's quote from two to one to six to one for the, the most effective teams had six positive reinforcements to everyone negative. And they quoted a researcher from back in the old days that did this with marriage. And it was almost the same exact ratio. This is a powerful thing. And so going back to your support systems, okay, I have the internal voice in me that I have to deal with, but I also have the external voices. Are those external voices speaking into a strong sense of identity and purpose in my life? Or are they making me question myself and making me feel like I'm worthless and feeling condemned? I grew up personally in a very verbally abusive home. It was a rural community. And everyone was like that, where you screw up as a kid, they'd call you stupid or a dipstick and they'd tell you to shut up all the time. And it took me to be an adult to see relatives that were raised in that, the effect of it, it was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy of what their parents would say about them just because they didn't, they weren't raised any different and they just did what they thought they were going to do. But seeing the effect on their kids now as young adults, and I was like, wow, they kind of spoke that over their kids. And it's kind of like a scary thing to think about. So literally Mm -hmm. going through this are the people around us. Are they speaking into our healthy self? Are they speaking into our insecurities and our fears? Are they making us feel connected? So some of this is going to be a proximity issue. You know, who's the five people closest to me? Who's my family? For a long time, I had to distance myself from my family because I wasn't emotionally mature enough to handle that criticism. Now I could go a little bit more. I've developed in that area where I just, you know, I could say, okay, we're in the same room, but there's a boundary in regards to influence. What you say doesn't influence me. I'm not as impressionable as I was as a young man. So that maturity had to come for me to be able to do that, to let those relationships begin to open again. But there's sometimes we just got to have healthy boundaries of who we let speak into our lives. And we got to have healthy boundaries in our mind to when we start having these negative thoughts, how do we exchange those and replace those with more positive thoughts? We know that there are adults who still struggle with very low self-esteem and self-worth. And that comes from what they experienced early on. So I read a thing, it was on Facebook, I think it says something like, trauma's not your fault, but your recovery's your responsibility. And so you can choose to make those choices, because otherwise we get in this cycle that we repeat for our children. Yes. We don't set out, I think we set out to, to damage our children by repeating what our parents have done, but it can happen before we know it. And so, yeah, that's very powerful, because it takes a lot to undo <laughs> what was done to us. As we were young, and I think especially right now when families are being made to kind of stay close to each other, and you've got little ones or young ones, but maybe if this were you back and you were quarantined with, you know, verbally abusive folks, you know, that's hard for a little one to say, fight those negative thoughts. You're not what they're telling you, and you're seven or eight years old. Right. That's a challenge, you know, for even us as adults. And so that's great that you've overcome that. <laughs> I don't applaud you because there's many who haven't. The struggle, but it's being able to say, you know, you're worth more than that. That they have their own issues. That this is about them, not you. You're worth something. You're valuable. And sometimes, again, it takes it takes treatment, but it does take those boundaries. It takes saying, you know, who's toxic. And sometimes it's very hard, but it needs separating from you and your family or the toxic people in your life. Because otherwise you can see you put toxic people in your life, you know, because that's what's normal. Right. And some um, people are probably listening to this and they're like, hey, this is great. This is all fluff. This is all people that just wear their emotions on their sleeve and it doesn't have a real impact on life. Oh, you think they're saying that, Mike? (laughs) (laughs) And I think people are getting more, I I think people are getting more acceptable of this stuff now. 
than maybe yeah. five, 10, 15 years ago, especially this last couple of months with COVID-19, just making people realize like, hey, man, I'm, I'm not feeling good inside just being on a lockdown. The good part about it is we don't celebrate the disease, obviously, but maybe it's kind of opens our eyes a little bit to, you know, some new things we may not have accepted, especially some more, you know, we're a safety council. So some of the guys listening to this are going to be some hard factory work types that may not be as sensitive to this type of conversation. But these emotions have very, very serious consequences, don't they? Like I remember talking to a lady, she was a young lady and her mom, she really felt favored her sister and uh, her older sister. And so every time that they would have some kind of issue, you know, as, as kids, they would fight over a toy, whatever it was. The mom, she always felt stuck up for the other sister. And anytime the sister would bully her around or anything, she would go to her mom and be like, mom, I'm trying to do the right thing. Help me from she's hitting me or whatever, that she would get spanked or whatever it was from the mom. And so literally you start to see this pattern evolve. Now that she's an adult, she really struggles with this. And she's literally has lost jobs because inside there's this thing she's dealing with. She feels so alone. She feels like she's not worth sticking up for. So she had some employment issues where she go to work and, you know, the boss said, hey, you're in charge. I'm going to take off the day you're in charge. And then people wouldn't listen to her. And then when the boss came back, he held her accountable. She's like, hey, what do you want me to do? But she struggled with sticking up for herself, even to employees she was temporarily in charge of. And it literally in the real world, the practical sense Okay, this isn't just emotions, but that feeling of not being worth enough to stick up for literally cost her jobs. And so this is a real practical. This isn't just fluff and I'm wearing my heart on my sleeve. There's some real practical consequences. These emotions, aren't there? Yeah, I was even thinking of uh, something else I was reading where there was some physical abuse for the kid as he was growing up. And then as he moved through as an adult, you know, he just didn't know what to do in a safe environment. I mean, he was just more used to being abused. And so that continued to impact him throughout his life. And so it does. And I, I've been in this field, as I said, like 25, 26 years now. And so I've seen children who then become parents and have children. I've seen their children. And if you don't break the cycles, it continues to impact you. With employment, relationships, it continues to impact you and it continues to impact the children. But the good news, the hope is, is that you can break cycles and you have stories to tell that other people don't have to tell. And that's the beautiful news that we have to share. <laughs> that uh you get it in a way nobody else might. I'm going to get real heavy with you for a second because I went through some stuff. I had a pretty hard life, which is why I love what I do now. And I'm not going to get too far into detail, but for those of the people that still hear this kind of stuff and they question it, I just want to share with our listeners how this stuff impacts us without us even recognizing. I went through some sex abuse as a kid, and I tell this story in groups all the time because I really want them to feel connected and safe that they have you know, that someone understands and the goal is for them to go and get help and get the counseling they need from, a, you know, another professional. Sometimes I'll tell the story just to kind of set them up to say, okay, it's a, maybe what I've been struggling with is, is something a little bit more than what I've been thinking it is. And so there was a long time where I was really dealing with aggression and rage. You know, I'm talking is, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, but it was from abuse. So I had no idea. And if you would have asked me in my 20s, you know, going through, you know, frat parties and bar fighting just for, you know, we thought it was fun and do, just the good old boys, Dukes of Hazard kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? 
part of a fraternity going out doing this thing. And here it's like, well, there comes Mike always causing trouble. And there was like this emptiness where I literally, you know, I used to want to go skydive because I felt like I had to do something extreme to feel alive. And, and, you know, I wasn't a cutter, didn't do that kind of stuff. But literally my thing wasn't depression or anxiety. It was rage. And I would get to these and it was like, you know, I went through cycles of drugs and alcohol and these different things. And I never dealt with full-blown addiction, right? But I struggle with like binging and different things. And so literally it was just coming to my head and my life was falling apart in my mid twenties and it just came to a head. And, you know, I, I always thought everything was economic, right? I get my master's degree and I'm, I'm still delivering pizzas because, you know, back then you just, you got a degree and it didn't mean much, right? You know what I mean? You struggled finding a job in your field and tons of people were working at Walmart yep. degrees and it was kind of that thing. So I remember even delivering pizzas and I remember one time, I can't tell you the day it was, but I remember literally packing up pizzas in boxes and looking at the computer, routing my orders and I'm reliving around this time. It was probably my early twenties. I'm literally seeing myself get abused in my mind. Now, here's the thing. Back then, you know, growing up in the 80s in the country, now it wasn't 20 in the 80s, <laughs> but growing up in the country in the 80s in a rural community, we didn't know anything about mental health, really. It was just kind of like, oh, you got your mom's temper or, you know, they, they kind of just wrote off as like a normal right. thing because it was so ingrained in a part of culture. Now, reflecting on what I was going through, it didn't ever cross my mind. I had I was dealing with some mental health issues because I'm sitting there writing papers on global economics. So to me, I connected my cognitive ability with mental health. Now, you know what I'm saying? As far as it goes, like my education and I was real smart. And so I would go through these kind of things. So I was like, I don't have a mental health. I just didn't connect the two because of my upbringing typically. But what happened was as I started going through this process, now I didn't go to counseling. It never even crossed my mind because no one I knew really did that. You know what I mean? And so it's, yeah. I thank God it's changed so much over the last 15, 20 years. But in my early twenties, I started going through this process where I'm literally reliving this moment and I'm sitting there and I'm going out on weekends. My friends and I would text each other and call each other. I'm like, we're going to get wild tonight. And I thought I was just a bad boy and tough guy. And all my friends were the same. And then literally I started processing this, this abuse as a kid and maybe five, six, seven years old, because I, I didn't have no choice. Like literally I'm seeing it and, and I would go out the back door and I'd grab my head and I would just say, get out of my head. I don't want to think about this because I tucked it and tucked it for so many years. And so I started going through this process and I heard someone one time say, you know, just confess, you forgive someone to you actually forgive them in your heart. And I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of, but I had no other option. So I tried it and I started walking through this maybe three to five year process, I would guess it is. And I tell the story all the time. So this isn't like, uh, I'm trying to get sympathy. I'm trying to like, if someone hears this to really just kind of relate to it and say, Hey, some of the issues you're dealing with may not be what you think it is and get the help that you need. And so as I start processing this, I remember like literally I moved close to a bar so I could go drink. So I wouldn't get a DUI. So I literally moved across the street from a bar so I could go drink. Oh, they creative kicked me out. thinking there, Mike. Right, creative thinking. <laughs> they kicked me out twice for fighting, right? So it didn't work out. So all my friends would come spend the night. Think about your colleges. They would come spend the night in my house, <laughs> but I wasn't allowed to go with them. And so, uh, yeah, so it's kind of like just trauma after trauma, real trauma, you know, like I can't go with my friends in the park mm-hmm. kind of thing. So anyways- <laughs> and going through this entire process, you know, I would have dreams reliving that abuse and different things. And I, mm-hmm. I started going through the end of the process and then, okay, they let me back in the bar and I would go drink with my coworkers. It just kind of said how I came to the realization, but other people started noticing the change when someone would come up and make some kind of comment, you know, I had a reputation. So when I walked in a bar, it wasn't just like anyone else. It was like, Hey, there's that guy that causes trouble all the time. And so it would get me in more trouble. Right. And then my coworkers would say, 
you're changing, you're getting soft. And I'd be like, wait, I'm a tough guy. What do you mean? That's not good. <laughs> and they're like, no, it's a good thing because a year ago you would have gotten a big old fight and started a 20 person <laughs> rumble at the bar kind of thing, you know? And, and they would go through this whole like thing. Cause they saw me, you know, I worked with them for several years and I started saying, you know what? I am changing. And then I remember there's one particular time where I was drinking a, a beer and I was, I was sitting there and I, I just, some guy tried to pick a fight with me and I was like, ah, it's not really worth it. And my buddy looked at me like, who are you? And I realized at that, that moment, <laughs> I didn't need to drink anymore. There was a moment for me oh. to say, I'm just doing this because this is all I know, but I'm not feeding any kind of emptiness. And I realized at that point, I really overcame a lot of the issues with that abuse. And you would have never convinced me if you would have came up to me, the reason why you're acting out and you're trying to be a tough guy all the time that has something to do with the happened to you as a kid. But on the flip side of it, literally that I didn't have to fight rage. I didn't even have to do coping techniques. I strongly support coping techniques. But when I dealt with the root cause of going through sexual abuse as a kid, literally the rage just left me. The emptiness feeling Mm -hmm. just left me. And so I didn't have to try to modify my behavior. I dealt with the root and my behavior just automatically changed. And it was such a freeing thing. And so literally a lot of times we're trying to deal with these surface issues like, hey, you know, we're even talking to employees. Don't do this. Don't do that. But really there's a root cause to a lot of this stuff, isn't there? So even loneliness where I I can relate to that, where I literally got numb in several areas and it ruined relationships and ruined all these things. These emotions they cause a lot of big issues in the practical realm. Thank you for sharing that because that's exactly right. I mean, sometimes when you say to somebody, you know, maybe what's going on or maybe we ask those why questions, which are not good questions. Why is never a good question, really. But that's a good example. Like sometimes, especially kids, they don't know. They don't right. know. And that's a good example for you. Or like, you know, we, we work with people who have addiction. And that addiction, I'm not going to claim to be an expert. I don't want any... I don't know if people call into you or they write in, but how often does that come alone? Right. You know, when I work with the girls in jail, you don't raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I want to be an addict. You know, no, there is, never. I'm going to say almost hands down, there is trauma or abuse and neglect or something that came with that that needs to be dealt with. Or are you going to really recover with that addiction? I, I would say probably not. That trauma, whatever has gone on that has come with that addiction, you need to be able to work through that as well you know, to really get a hold of that addiction. I think that's my personal opinion. What I say all the time is, because a lot of people I work with have like substance abuse issues. Now I don't go far into it, but I do poke at it a little bit to try to get them because some people think they could do it on their own or, you know, whatever it is. And I kind of just want to, hey, you might want to look at it because when I see loneliness, depression, anxiety, drug addiction, violence, hoarding, Mm -hmm. you know, the show Hoarders is a prime example of that. People come in in at least the early days. I don't know how far I got the first season I saw years ago. People would come in like Sergeant Slaughter and yell at the people, scream at them for eating a 30-year-old pickle, right? Right. And all these things. It was that easy. They wouldn't be hoarding, right? Yeah, it never worked. (laughs) But then you brought in a counselor or psychologist and they came in or psychiatrist and they're like, tell me about your life. And they start talking about how they you know, lost their wife to cancer or how their son died in a drunk driving accident. And you start to see a connection about fear of letting things go and there's there's this whole deep thing that has a real practical sense that sometimes we can't even figure out why we're doing certain things and there's a root cause behind that so that's why i love doing shows like this and and topics like this because it's so practical and so relevant people that struggle with certain behaviors a lot of times in my opinion they try to fight the behavior too much which is good in the beginning but at some point you got to deal with the root cause to see that big breakthrough come It's just a symptom, like a kid that's at school acting out, not doing homework, you know, doesn't give two, 
whatever's about the poetry notebook that needs signed because at home he doesn't know what he's walking into if his mom may or may not be dead or alive when he gets there. You right. Know? And yeah, the symptom of what's going on, and just like you, you know, you're talking a lot, a fair amount about the drinking that you might have been involved in, but chances are, had you not got a hold of what had gone on to you as a child, that you may still very well be on the path of the drinking behavior. But that stopped, like you said, when you, and it sounds like pretty much on through your own you know, you, you did your own work there. <laughs> so, right. And you know, it was really faith. That was and I beautiful. Don't, and you dealt yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah, it was really faith that kind of brought me through that and having that revelation of faith that kind of brought me through that. And I know we don't talk about that at work much. It's kind of like the forbidden thing. We don't talk about religion and politics. And I noticed, and the reason why I bring that up is I do notice a lot of people have different, you know, I have a lot of people I worked with that got their breakthrough through counseling. I've had a lot of people that got breakthrough through a, a pastor or some people just talk about it in a support mm-hmm. group and there doesn't seem to be a cookie cutter approach nope. as long as you're talking to healthy people. <laughs> and so right. are you engaging, dealing with the issue, dealing with the healthy people? It looks different for all of us, but are you dealing with the root issue? Or are you just trying to cope with what you have and I ask the guys all the time in the shelters that I work with? I said, let me ask you a question. Would you rather learn how to cope with anger or would you rather not get angry at all? And they look at me like, is that a trick question? And I'm like, listen, I want you to cope with anger as long as you have it. But what if it doesn't affect you as much anymore? And not saying that no one's ever going to get angry or frustrated, right? Right. So we get but, mad. Right. But, you know, my testimony is one that like from rage all the way through my kid and all oh, that's your mother's time, but that's your mother's time. No, it wasn't. It was actually a child that was hurt there. And then now that yeah. it's been processed, that anger to that level doesn't even exist. You You can't even recognize me from my early 20s or under compared to who I am today, my personality is exactly the same. I didn't lose me. I didn't lose my authenticity. Right. But the bad side of the the false self of me, that rage and the anger that was trying to deal with all the emptiness and loneliness and all that thing on the inside, that really got dealt with. So getting back on loneliness, I took us on a rabbit trail. But I think it's good. I think people need to hear this. And it that was there's not hope. a rabbit trail, Mike, because I was going to say because you did that work, and I know in my own work I had to do it's not always comfortable. It's not easy. And for people that enter into counseling, it's a, it's a hard process because you do have to do the work. But the payoff is so great because then for your children and your, your relationships that you're in, they're so much more healthier. And it's great. The work matters and we broke cycles. Absolutely. And I, I notice a lot of people in relationship issues, I try to tell people, fix you first. Go in there 100% because you attract people just like you. And now I have a fantastic wife. We would have never been compatible if I didn't go through my process first. If I wouldn't have went through the inner healing I needed, it would have never worked out. And I was unfaithful in every single relationship until I found my wife. But the difference was I met her on the other side of the healing process. And so everything, this affects every single thing. And loneliness is one of those symptoms. But to get back on track, what are some things we could do? If we're dealing with loneliness, what are some things we can start to apply, especially during COVID-19? It's going to be a little harder. You can't just go high five everybody you see now or start up too Maybe many conversations at Walmart. But, <laughs> but even Well, even I tell you, the- I was thinking about that. I made a little list. Now, yesterday, the girls in the other office, they sent us cookies. So I like that. <laughs> so maybe I'm going to throw that out there from, for uh, our, our um Office partners, they could keep doing that for us over here, family community. <laughs> Just make sure they're not um, on a diet because you send me cookies, I'm going to get mad because I'm not well, allowed to have them. Yes, but send all the cookies to Jennifer. Cookies. 
<laughs> if you're listening to send one, please and thank you. <laughs> send cookies um, up to Goggler <laughs> Avenue. <laughs> yes, thank take care you. of Jennifer um, Parmenter. Yep, thank you. So okay, so one thing, do those phone check ins, okay? The other thing was saying, you know, get creative. So I know it's some friends of mine. We're gonna like do like some of our other, you know, people have been talking. Get on those whatever Zoom, Zip, whatever, all those uh, FaceTime, Skype, whatever. My sister was in Kansas last year. She did what is that? Um, Google, Google Duo. I think we did. And she would like cook, and we would talk, or you know, whatever, watch a movie together. Keep a gratitude book. Remember, like we talked last time. What yes, are those blessings? Important. They're yep. still there. They're there. Take a walk. Music I was listening to today, how much music just lifts your mood. So, therefore, keeping in mind, you listen to sad music, you might feel sadder. So, on the flip, listen to happy music, you might feel better. And you're a country fan, Mike? You're a country fan? No, not at all, actually. <laughs> all my okay, friends are, but I'm I, not. Well, I don't want to throw this out, but you know that country music, not all, but some, you're losing you're losing lovers and you're... <laughs> so yeah. watch, watch how much of that you're, you're listening to. Let me jump in here with that because this is very important. Yeah. Back in the old days, I was a metalhead, right? And I would like really angry music oh. and it was kind of violent in nature. Yeah. And so what people I think get deceived on when it comes to music a lot of times is there's a soothing of your soul that comes from listening to something you can relate to. You know, that could be gangster rap. That could be country. Oh, yeah. That could be right. heavy metal. It doesn't matter the style, but like I would listen to this anger filled music of heavy metal. Pantera and Rage Against Your Machine. They're always mad about something. <laughs> always trying to do something violent as a result of right. their anger, right? And so I would literally get fired up or angry. Now, it had a temporary soothing effect because I could relate to it. But the problem is it constantly reinforced the idea of being angry and violent. And so what that does is it it helps grow thoughts that you don't want of, you know, seeing yourself hurt someone in your head. And these back then I would see myself if someone told me to shut up, I would see myself doing something bad to him. You know what I mean? Or slapping him or just something. And that was normal. There's not a thought that crossed my mind like that now. And so the soothing could come in, but be careful to listen. Like you said, especially if you're more sensitive to that thing, if you're prone to, I've even seen myself now and I haven't dealt with that kind of rage in like 15 years, probably, you know, and I'll watch a show for some reason. I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to like sword fighting, you know, and I'll watch a show on Netflix and they're talking trash to each other, kind of like pro wrestlers and they're, you know, sword fighting. Right. And I next, next thing you know, I kind of see myself start getting a little edgy with people. <laughs> Even though I know I better and I start realizing, I need to quit watching the show for a little bit because I'm starting to, So yeah, so listen to some healthy music. Don't right. just get your soul soothed because it's something you relate to. Relate to it, sure. Okay, great. But if you find that thing stirring you up, making you anxious, making you depressed, stirring up anger, all these unhealthy emotions, just put it to the side and listen to something that's going to be more positive. Like, what's that song, Elvis? Is it Elvis Presley? I'm so lonely. What's that one? We don't want to listen yeah, to that I one. Don't want to, yeah. Or I was, <laughs> I was thinking when I would go to those movies where, like, there's, like, a female star. You know, she's a star. She's really super bad. She's fighting everybody. And I would come out of the theater and be like, come on, people. Come on. Let's go. So I got Bring this. it on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to yeah. change so the world. All I to say. <laughs> yeah. What goes in comes out. That's the model I told to the children. What goes in comes out. You got to be careful. So, you know what else I saw was don't worry alone. Because when you sit and you stir on, you know, you sit in those thoughts, that's not very healthy. So if you're worrying, maybe pick up a phone, call, talk to somebody you trust. Because sometimes those worries and thoughts are maybe bigger than what they need to be. A friend or somebody healthy in your life can help you more sense of that. 
uh, learn something new, keep a routine. You know, we've heard that a lot. I heard somebody say this, and if you're used to, like, you're just sitting around in your jogging pants or your leggings, put some pants on. Get some pants on. Get dressed. That's keeping us from gaining too much weight, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, those joggers can really stretch out a little bit, but you put your jeans on, you go, you learn real quick how much weight you gain, don't you? <laughs> yeah. So keep some type of routine. Get up, get dressed, you know, take care of your hygiene. Have a schedule. You know, for those of us, there's you know, some people, I come into the office every day. Some are working from home. Keep a schedule, you know. Well, again, coming back to having that purpose. So, and then maybe have a little goal for yourself. You know, reach out to three people in the day. Make their day. Let them know that they're visible to you still. You're thinking about them. You know, and then what do we know? That helps you feel better. And you help someone else feel better. Yeah, I like the idea, too, of taking time to slow down. And sometimes it's busyness that keeps us from actually connecting deep enough that we need to be connected with the people around. I mean, think about even in our own home, sometimes we're so busy. Let's take the kids off to practice and yeah. maybe both parents are working and then we got to take this, you know, pick someone up from the childcare and do this and whatever it is that you got to do that we get so busy that like it's not even, again, not having people around us. That's not the issue. There's not a deep connection. And so just stuff like that. And my wife and I love board games. It's fun. Mm-hmm. If, if we don't get too competitive, there's just some interacting things that we could kind of do. Gets us off the phones. You know, like a movie, you watch a movie, that's fine. But unless you're cuddled up with everybody, it's not, you're not really connecting. So instead of maybe watch right. a movie, play some board game, do something where you're doing some interaction. Along the lines, you're saying like me and my daughter, like I don't paint. And she's caught of a painter, but we just paint together, listen to some music. Just It's very calming. You're trying something new and we're together doing it, you know? The same as you're saying, like, I think back to, like, the loneliness is coming off those phones as well because that is, I think, something that's created more lonely feelings because you're not really connecting at times. So it is also putting down the phone with the people you're in the home with, that you're quarantined with, and really having conversation. I'm reading this article here from goodhousekeeping.com, and one of the ways they say to overcome loneliness is perform anonymous acts of kindness. And I think that's such a good idea. I know there's times in my life where, you know, something just reminds me of a friend and it almost makes me a little tender, you know, and you start thinking deep in there and you start thinking, you know, I really love this person as a friend. Like, you know, it's not a sexual thing or intimate thing. It's just this friend or whoever this is, this coworker there. I really appreciate them. And so what I've done before is even just send a text message out saying, you know what? I really appreciate you. I just list all the good stuff. You know, every time something goes hard, you do this, or even that you always pick up the mood in the office, whatever that is, and just really pure, right? Really platonic. And you just kind of put that out there and just say, I just want you to know you're appreciated and you're amazing in these areas. So thank you for being you. And you almost reinforce someone else's identity. And to me, that's such a powerful act of kindness where I don't have to physically touch anything. You know, some people prefer notes and cards. I'm not a card person, but man, the response you get from that. The times have passed where I've done that. They're like, hey, thanks, man. That's cool. And then other times you could just see how it rocks someone's world. And they're like, man, I really needed to hear that today. That fear of rejection comes up and makes you awkward and those things. But do a random act of kindness. Let someone know how much you appreciate them and what they do well. So many times in our society, you can't turn on the media without them calling someone out. My goodness. All they do is criticize and criticize and just this and that. And you're like, our society is bombarded with that. And even though there's tons of positive messages out there, they don't get through sometimes, especially on the personal level. So just reaching out on that. And another thing they suggest is reconnect with self-love and appreciation. How important is that? Well, I think, again, it comes back to your identity and your purpose and knowing you're worth something. And so 
Again, for some of us, that's a journey, so you might have to do some work there, some reflecting. And for some, it's being comfortable being alone, which we didn't talk much about, but, you know, not everybody wants to be alone, and alone is that physical state of being. And so those of us who have kids usually can appreciate some alone time. Absolutely. You know, (laughs) just going to the bathroom alone, (laughs) taking a shower alone. (laughs) You know, but I think some of that alone time and, and enjoying your own self, knowing you're you're worthy enough, you're valuable enough. And that comes from really being able to look in the mirror and celebrate who you are. You have a purpose and a sense of belonging here. You have things to offer and to give and that there are strengths within you. And you have these weaknesses, you have flaws, you're imperfect, but that there's a reason for you to be here on earth. We all have stuff in our life, but we have a story to tell, and our story can help others. You know, just like you did today, Mike, you know, you have a story. I'm sure it already has helped me. Yeah, and I like the idea, too, of because we're in a place where we can't really physically touch things. You know, after the five love language revelation that I got from that book, my wife, her primary love language is touch. I'm not. So when I was trying to even make her feel loved and get her cards and flowers, it was nice, but it never really did it for her. You know, we beat a Dairy (laughs) Queen. We beat a Dairy Queen when we first got married years ago, and she put her legs up on me. I had no idea she's expressing love. I was just annoyed because it was 90 degrees outside, and I was like, are you crazy? Get your legs off me. I'm burning up in here. And she would get mad. I'm like, why are you getting mad? And she was like, I don't feel love. I don't feel connected to you. And I'm like, but I got you flowers every week for the last month. Like, what's yes, wrong with you? Because you're C- speaking your language. You're yes. doing your language, not hers. Yeah, yeah, that, that was, yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, and mine was yeah. quality time. So mine was just, let's just hang out. Why do you got to get all weird and touchy? Right. I'm not a touchy person. So I had to realize that uh, for the sake of her to feel connected, I had to stop. And so when, you know, she would do dishes, I would come massage her shoulder, just small stuff yes. and touch her hand while yes. we're driving. And I hated that stuff. Yes. But to me, I realized I got to do that for her because that's how she communicates. And that was a big deal. So in the midst of yes. where we can't have that physical touch with a lot of our friends, we can do some things yeah. physical. Maybe that's where we come in. Like we write a card or, you know, my in-laws, they yeah. don't buy birthday cards very much, but they hand make them. They have these stamps and stickers and they'll take oh, their yeah. kids. And we'll put handprints on them. And to me, it means so much more than going to buy a Hallmark yeah. thing that you didn't write anyways. And uh, mm-hmm. you mentioned painting. I think it's such a powerful thing. And you're doing something physical, so it gets that expression of love out there, even though you may not be touching a person or high-fiving or hugging anyone. It puts a degree of physical touch to it in an expression of your emotions and your heart, and then get that pain and give it to someone, or however that looks, or text them a picture of it. And, you know, we have a friend that texts my wife all the time that she does some kind of digital coloring thing. I don't know, some kind of, I have no idea what it is, but she makes these things, and and they're pretty cool. And she's like, hey, I I colored this picture today, and I thought about you, and she'll text it to us. But it's just got a physical component where she's on her phone, and she's drawn the things. Even though it's electronic, she gets to decorate the colors and different things and say, hey, this reminded me of you. And it's a powerful thing. It's like, oh, she did this while thinking about us. So that's, you know, it makes you yeah. feel special and, and, and it makes that degree of connection stronger just by doing something physical, even though you can't physically touch people. Yes, because it just all comes back to someone thought of you, which meant you weren't invisible. Wow, that's powerful. You were important. Yep. That's powerful. All right, Jennifer, I think we did a good job today. I think uh, we put some information out there that, man, we we covered a lot, actually. But I think some people can take some pieces and really kind of just start making some choices with that information we gave out. So thank you so much for coming out today. You are welcome. I enjoy our time together. 
And if someone wants to get a hold of you or some services that are available down at Gogler and Family Community Services, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, the best way is call us at 330-677-4124 and breathe or Linda would be happy to schedule you with one of our clinicians and we're still doing telehealth for right now. If everything is stable again, we get to go ahead and we will resume our face-to-face outpatient and home-based services. If you're listening today and you're struggling with loneliness or any of the things that we talked about, depression, anxiety, anger, rage, addiction, reach out. Know that you're not in this alone. Millions of people deal with this every single day. Don't let the stigmatism keep you from getting help and reaching out. So many people are getting breakthrough through this. So reach out to Jennifer, reach out to Family and Community Services, or reach out to another agency that you may feel more comfortable with. But thanks for listening today, guys. Jennifer, thanks again for joining us. Everybody out there, be safe. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. To learn more about how your company can earn up to a 4% Ohio BWC premium rebate by becoming an active member of the Portage County Safety Council, please visit our website at www.portagecountysafetycouncil.wordpress.com. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.